This is How to Read. I'm Milan. And I'm Olivia, the producer of this episode. Today we're talking with Marissa Galvez, a specialist in medieval European literature. Many people today surround themselves with crystals, whether for healing properties or as part of their spirituality. But the question of whether crystals can affect the body or the spirit goes back millennia. Marissa Galvez has identified two distinct traditions for understanding crystals. First, there's a Christian tradition that focuses on how crystals might allow us to transcend the body into a realm of pure spirituality. But there's also a tradition that links crystals to erotic love. In medieval poetry, the shimmering qualities of crystals are used to capture an experience of love that's dizzying yet pleasurable. Marissa Galvez, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to be here. So we are going to talk about crystal through the ages. So um, I feel like an interest in crystals has really broken through in the last few years. Um, to me, it seems like maybe like, especially like a celebrity thing, mm. um, also like a kind of wellness uh, thing. Yeah. Um, so that kind of all seems quite recent to me, but, um, you're a medievalist. I am. And <laughs> so I gather that you're interested in a much longer history of crystal. Yeah. So maybe I should start this story by saying like I entered in my interest in crystal the same way you did by talking to people who are interested in modern versions of crystal. And um, they started asking me, well, as a medievalist, what stories do I know about it? And as I started getting into it, I, I, I became knowledgeable of the long cultural history of crystal that started in antiquity, where you have... Um, Someone like Pliny the Elder in his catalog of gemstones talk about crystal as one of the most valuable, precious stones out of all the gemstones. And unlike other stones that come from the earth, the ancients thought of crystal as originating from the sky. Interesting. And they thought of it as frozen ice because it had watery origins. And so all these kinds of things about crystal, it's like watery, it's frozen ice, but it's also has this hardness and it's also transparent. Yeah, that's because even to think of it as, as a type of stone is mm. a bit surprising to me. That's For me, it's not in that exactly. mental category. Right, but in antiquity, they thought of it as the most valuable stone. And then in the Middle Ages, you could think about it as, well, if you have a pure spiritual faith, it is like a crystal gemstone. So it's like crystal during the Middle Ages was associated with purity, transcendence. What, so, what do you yeah. mean by transcendence? Is transcendence. that a kind of religious term? Yeah, a pure spiritual faith when you become closer, spiritually closer to God, mm. right? And that's what I mean by spiritual transcendence. So, for instance, one passage um, from a Middle English poem called The Land of Kakim, where monks are praying, and then when they pray very hard and deeply, the glass of the windows becomes crystal. And this actually converges with other accounts with um, nuns who are praying, they get a crystalline quality of their faces. So there's this idea that when you become spiritually closer to God, you have you know, something like glass turned to crystal or someone's face becomes more translucent, transparent. 
So you have this history from you know antiquity and also in biblical stories where crystals associated with transcendence and purity and so this faith. is a real like right. Christian so biblical have that. tradition exactly. Okay. But it's not only that, which is what my 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 own cultural history of crystal is interested in. What I'm interested in is like love stories um, and stories that have to do with erotic desire. And they're also using crystal, but I noticed they were in different ways. Great. I'm just going to um, make sure this lid is on properly. Would you like some tea? Sure. Okay, so on the one hand, we've got this kind of transcendent understanding of crystals where it's all about the purity, the transparency. Exactly. Um, and then you're saying that you've been researching this other tradition. So how do crystals connect to love then? Like what's so, different there? Medieval stories, the ones that have to do about erotic desire and love, love being a confusing experience. That's those are the stories I'm interested in about crystal as well. And they're competing okay. with the transcendent stories. And the way they were doing it, it was about you want to reach that pure transcendent love, the lady or whoever your love object is. But along the way, as you try to get to that transcendence or pure love, you have this dizzying, confusing, also pleasurable experience of love. Because it seems like poets and artists in the Middle Ages were aware of this tradition of spiritual transcendence, but they're always so like, hey, look, love is confusing. It's weird. It's wondrous. And in the process of trying to get the love object, I'm having this like weird experience. Yeah. Well, so. The, and so we've got this pile of crystals in front of us <laughs> right on the there. table here. And I feel like as I'm looking at some of these crystals, like, I mean, yes, there's a transparency and there's a kind of purity if you want but like there's all these different facets mm -hmm. there's kind of like flaws running through them or sort of little cloudy patches like right there's something confusing i think about looking right. at it you're like what shape is this right and is that the kind of those are the properties of crystals that these people thinking about like love and erotic yes, desire exactly and if i can give you an example that that tells that story of crystal from the of the love experience um, so the Roman de la Rose, the Romance of the Rose, is a 13th century poem, an old French, and it's a, a story about a lover who has a dream, and he's trying to pursue his love object, the, the, the lady. And as he's, he goes into a garden, and he sees a fountain, a fountain full of water, and he looks inside the fountain, and he sees a crystal. And he thinks, that crystal is my love, my my love object, but he, as he looks in, the one crystal becomes two crystals. And he thinks, maybe that's the eyes of my lover. But then also it could be himself. He's looking at himself. But you have to imagine that those crystals that become eyes are also in water. So it's the refractive qualities of the crystal, the crystal in the shimmering water. So it's a completely confusing thing. Is he looking at himself? Is he mm. looking at his lover? What is he looking at? As a reader, do you know whether there's one or two crystals? That's right. Or is this you something don't. that you're just sort of, so, you're seeing his perceptions? Just in the text, it's a mystery. It's like, why is the one crystal become two? But I think it's deliberate because this whole experience of him looking at the crystal and being confused is the sensory, is a, is a story about experiential love told through the crystal. And so... When I was saying that he sees two eyes and he could be seeing himself, that's a trap. 
you don't want to be pursuing just yourself. You really try to get a love object, right? Pursue that, not just like a, you know, a love that's all about yourself, right? He wants to escape that trap, but he doesn't know how, and he doesn't know what he's looking at. But what he sees changes according to where he is. And how I see that is like it all depends on how he's looking at the crystal and how you're moving around the water. And so that experiential aspect of crystal to me is really important. And this whole idea of of the amorous love experience as being confusing, dizzying, Mm. but also pleasurable. He pauses. He's like, I don't know what I'm looking at, but this is what pursuing love is about. And so that to me, like this is something this like story about crystal in this um, 13th century text is kind of a what is left out of the usual cultural history of crystal because crystals usually seem like transcendence and purity but I was like what about this kind of confusing ambivalent experience and it's usually attached to when crystals told in terms of a love story Mm, yeah and so I mean does making this connection between crystal and love does that allow you to understand sort of how people in the medieval period thought about love in general? Does that allow you to understand it in a slightly different way? Exactly. I think what they're doing is using crystal to think through certain ambivalent qualities of love, of erotic desire. The process of loving can be confusing. And they see crystals like on the one hand, oh, it embodies everything that I want, that pure love, that goal. But to get there, you have this experience where you can perhaps pursue a lady, but maybe you're only pursuing yourself because you're rejected from that lady, right? Um, That all that ambivalent, that ambivalence that goes through the the process, the quest for the love object, I think they look at Crystal and like, hmm, maybe I can use this to think through that. Yeah. Um, Is there anything else you want to say about that example or should we move into the present? (laughs) Well, we can move into it this way. I think those two those two accounts drive this just kind of popular fascination with crystal as a healing stone, alternative wellness um, that, you know, in our secular age where we have a need and desire for some kind of religious, some kind of spirituality. And when I think about how crystal is part of our zeitgeist kind of thing, I'm like, why? And I see this cultural history and I see all these interesting accounts of, you know, as we were talking about the clarity, transparency, transcendence versus sensory experience, confusing, ambivalent, blah, 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 erotic experience. I think how do those two accounts connect to this popular fascination of crystal that crystals have effects on us, right? Um, That crystals can do things to us, give us spirituality, but also heal us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of um, some of the things we've been talking about from much earlier eras, like the the sort of, um, yeah, the, the question of kind of transcendence and like mystical right. properties. Um, but also, I'm now wondering, with like crystals today, um, is there maybe also a kind of this idea of like, how much is it in your own mind? How mm-hmm. much do crystals right. kind of like affect your mind exactly. kind of reflect something back to you that you're kind of putting into them. That's a really good point. So it's on the one hand, it's like a crystal it has this spiritual transcendence that we look to. We are, we, we are in pursuit of that transcendence. On the other hand, it's like we recognize that this stone maybe has effects on us, but also can reflect or incite some kind of mental activity that's important to us. 
So I think it joins the spiritual quest that we always have, but then also like our material hunger or kind of our our need to connect with material things, the earth, the, like our environment, where we are. I mean, that makes sense to me because also, I mean, so one of the crystals you've got here is, I believe, a rose quartz. Is right. that right? Yeah, that one. And, and I feel like people today who are very into crystals, like they don't just want the plain transparent right. one. Like they want lots of different colors, mm-hmm, right? They mm-hmm. want the rose quartz, they want the amethyst, right. they want, yeah. That's right. And and so there is something very like, yeah, like sens- sensuous there, like, and there's maybe even a kind of like yeah. desire and a pleasure in the different colors and the different kind of material. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of final questions. Do you incorporate crystals into your everyday life? <laughs> Do I? Yeah. Sometimes I wear crystals. And, and what I does have, that do for you when you wear them? I don't know. I have to admit that I don't think they give me any special powers, but they remind me of how I'm interested in telling a different story about crystals. That's why I have them on my desk, actually, not because of any healing properties that I believe them to have in particular, but I guess you could say I think they incite my um, motivation to uncover a different story of crystals. So maybe they do have some kind of effect on me, one could say. They incite mental activity. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. If you could commission someone to make an object for you out of crystal, what object would you choose? That's really a good question. Um, if I could commission an artwork, it would be one that would put into play these two aspects of crystal we've been talking about. So one on one end, you would say this is a this is an object of purity and transcendence that goes back to the grail or something, and maybe it would somehow evoke that in some way. But then it would also foreground the fact that it has these shimmering translucent effects of crystal, perhaps like make it so big that you would have to walk through it. I don't know if there is a gemstone that big, but this is like my <laughs> fantasy that I just thought yeah, of right now. But that, that would really foreground the kind of dizzying weird experience of walking through and around a crystal that sounds beautiful <laughs> any any artists who are listening <laughs> i have to commission that <laughs> definitely <Yeah>. thank you <laughs> Great. marissa galvez thank you very much thank you that's it for this episode for links to books mentioned in our discussion plus further reading visit our website howtoreadpodcast.com. You can also listen to a bonus clip in which Marissa explains how one medieval poem rejects pure spiritual love by focusing, bizarrely, on a beloved's crystal teeth. To hear about our latest episodes and news, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at howtoreadnow. This episode was produced by me, Milan Talunen, and by me, Olivia Branscombe with editorial assistance from Colby King and Sam Wilcox. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Columbia University for its support, and thank you for listening. <laughs>